two of the circle maker, and I got to talk fast. I got a lot to get through today. The circle maker is a story, and I'm going to retell the story really, really quick for those of you that don't know it, weren't here last week. Uh, if you want to know more about the story, get the podcast. It's available, okay? You can go to simplechurchohio.com, click on media. There's all the information, okay? All right, cool. And I can say that this week, just starting this week. It feels really good to say that. <clears throat> Not that the podcasts haven't been available, but now they're on the website. Anyway. So the, the legend of Honey the Circle Maker, right? Honey is a guy who is famous for praying for rain. He's played, prayed for rain before, and God has answered him. And this is a time period, is about 500 years, God goes silent just before Jesus shows up on the earth, okay? So this is that time period, and this is the last 100 years. So there's been 400 of those years of silence, and then the last 100 years, and this is where Honey exists, okay? And the people of the time believed that God was no longer talking. There was no prophet. He wasn't talking to the priest. There was no answer from God. And so most of them had a tendency to believe, after 400 years of silence from God, that God, since he wasn't talking, was also not listening. But Honey didn't believe that. Honey continued to pray, and so that landed him on the outside of the city, and that's where he preferred to stay because all the religious zealots were in there teaching that God's not listening anymore, and he's like, yes, he is. So he's living outside of the city, and it's been a year, and there's been no rain. And so the people come to him, and they pray. Or they say, pray, Honey, we need you to pray for rain. So Honey walks out with his staff in his hand, and he draws a big circle on the ground. He drops to his knees, and he prays for rain. The lesson that we learned from Honey last week was this. He had the audacity to pray a bold prayer, and this is how his bold prayer sounded. Lord, I'm not moving from this spot until you make it rain. And so we learn that bold prayers like that honor God, because when you pray a bold prayer like that, you believe that he can answer in a big way. And so Honey prayed that prayer, and then we also learn from him, because God did make it rain, but he made it sprinkle. And Honey said, he refined his prayer. He re- refined his request. He said, this is not the kind of rain that I ask for. I asked for rain that would fill cisterns and caverns. And so God begins to make it rain harder. And it's raining so hard that there's flash flooding and people are looking for higher ground. And Honey is forced to pray again and be even more specific with God. He said, that's not the kind of rain I want. The rain that would be a blessing to your people is what I want. And it's said in the story that the rain began to rain an even rain that was a blessing to the people. And so Honey got his moniker or his, his title, the circle maker, because of that event, because he drew a circle in the ground, because he picked a spot and said, God, this is my point of need, and I'm not moving from it until you answer. And so that's what this whole series is based on and what we're talking about in prayer and how it affected not only my personal prayer life, but so many others as well that have gone through this study. And it's just, I'm so excited to share it with you guys. So we learn to pray bold prayers because they honor God and we learn to be specific in our prayers. And I challenged you at the end of last week and I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands, but I challenged you to get a prayer journal and to begin writing down your prayers and being specific because that's what getting a prayer journal does is it challenges you to be specific with God instead of saying, you know, I need a building, being specific about what you want from God. And so a prayer journal does that. And I hope that you did that. And that through this series, you're going to hear me nag you enough about a prayer journal that you will get one and try it out and just, just try it for 30 days and you'll see God do great things in your life. All right, so this week we are going to jump into the message, and and I have to ask you this. um, You ever felt foolish doing anything before? Anybody here ever feel foolish doing something? I I felt foolish doing something. One of the foolish things that I've done in my time, which has been forever captured and immortalized on film, 
my buddy was doing a magic show, uh, and, and some of you may know this about me or not. I'm a, I'm a, a magical entertainer. I do magic tricks and with sleight of hand illusion stuff. And so he he's also a magician, and he asked me to do a uh, a bit with him. He's doing an MC. He's emceeing a show, right? And so the MC is the guy who talks and does comedy stuff while the show is changing behind the curtain. Okay. And so he says, Aaron, will you do this with me? And and what he describes to me, I felt very very foolish about and I said I don't I don't know if I want to do this man and uh and I wound up doing it and I took a risk and it really paid off we had a standing ovation of 700 people at an auditorium I think six or seven hundred people and uh and it was really cool and I'll tell you what why I felt foolish is because uh, and I'm sorry if you imagine this and I do apologize in advance um but it was me in a full bodysuit from the top to bottom uh you know like a spandex bodysuit and, uh, and the comedy is there, and I won't describe the act to you, but if you'd like to see it, you can go to YouTube and type in Red Art Magic, or Red Art Magic and you can see the video in full. I pray for your souls if you go. And, uh, and I, I, you know, <laughs> I pity the fool, pity the fool. No, but so if you go there. So anyway, I took a risk, though. I felt really foolish doing it. I felt silly doing it because, to be honest with you, that, that outfit was not really my size. It was kind of a size too small, or let's be honest, maybe two sizes too small. And, uh, and so it was not, it was, I did not look amazing in it. But, <laughs> but, as foolish as I felt, I took a risk and it was a huge payoff. And so we're going to talk about that today and how, you know, Honey had to feel a little foolish too. I mean, he walks out in front of all these people and he may praise a bold prayer. He puts his stick down in the ground. How many of you guys have ever drawn a circle and prayed in a circle before? You had to feel a little foolish. And he walks out and he does this. You know, and my thought, my immediate thought, the first time I heard this story, a guy who says, I'm not moving from this spot, because I know that God takes some time to answer prayers sometimes, my immediate thought was, oh boy, did this guy think about bathroom breaks before he declared he wasn't moving from the circle? You know what I'm saying? But anyway, so he, he, he had to feel a little foolish, because what about that detail? Had he thought about that? And, you know, drawing prayer circles looks foolish. Think of Noah. Think about him for a second. He had the willingness to look foolish, to build a boat in the middle of dry land, and he's telling everybody it's going to rain. And if you don't know the story of Noah, you learn as you read it that rain had never even happened before. And everybody's like, rain? What's rain? It never happened during his time. God fed the the plants miraculously with like a mist of some sort. And Noah's telling people it's going to rain. He looked like a fool building a boat in the middle of the land. What about... Jericho. We talked about Jericho last week as they marched around the walls. How many of you believe a parade will defeat an army or let alone tear down walls of a city? But they felt foolish. They had to have. What about David challenging Goliath with a sling? Or the wise men looking for Jesus? Or looking for the Messiah following a star and talking to a king? How foolish did they have to sound to do that? What about Peter jumping out of a boat to walk on the water? Or even Jesus looking foolish in a crown of thorns? But these guys all took a risk. And so did Moses. Moses knew foolishness. Moses went before Pharaoh. You guys know the song. Let my people go. Here's a guy who walks into a place where he's wanted for murder, foolish, and demands in the name of a God that Pharaoh does not know to let his people go. That's foolishness. And then he's backed up against the Red Sea. Raise your stick. Oh, come on, man. Raise my stick. Raise your stick. He had to feel foolish. And now he's out in the middle of the desert and God has just promised him to give him meat for a month. And he's got to tell the people, this is the answer. Foolish. 
But I will tell you this, that there's risk involved when you live by faith. Risking reputation is the most risky, right? Honey had already a reputation as a rainmaker. If he prayed one more time and it didn't happen, he would have lost that reputation. And the same thing goes for, for the rest of these guys. For, for Moses, or, or not for Moses, but for Noah. If he hadn't taken a risk, if he hadn't put his reputation on the line, he never would have saved the generation. Same thing for David. If he hadn't taken a risk, Goliath never would have been defeated and the Israelites would have become slaves. And so on and so on. Peter never would have walked on the water. Jesus could have never been crowned king of kings if he hadn't looked foolish and risked his reputation. And the greatest chapters in histories always begin with risk. And the same is true with the chapters of your life, right? You cannot build God's reputation if you aren't willing to risk yours. Circle makers are risk, make, are, are risk takers. And so Moses learned this lesson. If you don't risk, you forfeit the miracle. A year ago in January, I had a good paying job. And, uh, and my wife and I prayed about it. And we felt like I was supposed to quit my job. And it seemed really foolish, right? When you go into your boss and you don't have a job to go to, because I didn't, the only promise of any employment I had was in November. I said January is when I quit. And we felt like God was leading me to quit, so I quit my job. That was foolish. And I'm talking to my boss and I'm crying to him. like, we just feel like this is what God told us to do. I don't know. And he's like, what are you going to do? How are you going to pay your bills? I said, I don't know. I've got a sugar mama, I guess. I don't know. I'll make her work 20 hours of overtime. I'm not sure. And he's like, really? He challenges me as a man. And I'm like, this is what I've got to do. But I want to tell you that 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 quitting turned into him asking me for six months, which was never on my radar. So my wife and I prayed about it, and that turned into six months of blessing. I stayed for an additional six months. And he let me come and go as I wanted to, to work on the ministry, to spend time with my pastor, to be mentored, and to be prepared for this. It even allowed me to do the trip to Moscow that I talked about last week. Not Moscow, Russia. If you missed last week, get the podcast. It was good. I might even listen to it this week myself. Get the podcast. And so that turned into a blessing because I was willing to take a risk. I was willing to look foolish. In front of everybody. So we are going to be jumping into Numbers 11. That's where we're at this week. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, I'd like to give you one. So if you put your hand up in the air, we have Bibles that we prepared for you. We will give them out to you. Just let us know that you need one. And my ushers, or the, the hosts here back here, will get you a Bible. So just raise your hand. Let us know. Let us know. This is the Bible you get to take home and keep. Don't be shy. Right here. We got one right up here in front. Okay, so grab yourself a Bible, and we are going to go to Numbers 11 is where we're going to verse 4. Now, give me, let me give you the context here, okay? The Israelites have just come out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They just saw the Red Sea parted, which if you don't know that story, Red Sea is a big sea. Moses raised a stick. Sea parts. They all walk across on dry land. Pharaoh's people come behind him, trying to chase him, and the Red Sea crashes in and kills Pharaoh and all his army. Okay? It's a miracle. And, uh, and food is being provided for them miraculously on a day-to-day basis. Okay? They wake up in the morning, and there's this stuff called manna, which is like heavenly bread. It's on the ground every day. They don't have to work for it. Can you imagine that? Not having to work for your food? Wouldn't that be awesome? So they've got this miraculous bread every day that they wake up to. Okay, so this is where we're at. So we're in Numbers 11.4, all right? So it says, the rabble with them began to crave, and I think it's up on the screen too. There it is. The rabble with them began to crave other food. Now, let me just stop right there. It says, the rabble with them. Okay, the them is the Israelites. That's the people of God. And the rabble is not them. 
the rabble with them. These are a group of people that joined up with him. They said, man, you're getting manna every day. They're freeloaders, right? They've just joined up with him. They partner with him. How many of you guys know people like that? The rabble, right? And so the rabble with them, not the people of God, but the rabble with them began to crave other food. Freeloaders, that's the way that goes. They always complain about the free stuff, don't they? And again, the Israelites start. I don't mean to speak truth. I apologize. The, and again, the Israelites started wailing and said, now notice what it says, and again. This is not the first time that the Israelites have complained and wailed, right? They are doing it again, okay? All right, so Moses is, Moses is familiar with this. And they said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Now, I want to stop right there. That is so not true. They're, they're misremembering the story. They said no cost. They may not have had to pay with it, pay for it with their dollars, but I don't know that they were given any dollars. In fact, they ate fish every day because they slaved for it every day. It cost them their lives. It cost them their backs. And it cost them their children. We know for a fact that Pharaoh, on a whim, slaughtered all of the firstborn Hebrew boys just slaughtered them it cost them their children it cost them their lives it cost them their happiness and they say hey back in egypt we had fish and it didn't cost us a thing they're misremembering the story so back in it says also the cucumbers melons leeks onions and garlic now i wouldn't be all that excited about all that kind of stuff but the cucumbers maybe i don't know then it says, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Oh, wow. As a hardcore carnivore, I can personally relate. They're eating bread every day. Miraculously, as it is appearing on the ground, that's great. That's awesome. But let me tell you something. I love meat. I love bacon. That's what it says right there. And if you have never, ever been to the Rodizio Grill or a Brazilian steakhouse with all-you-can-eat meat, you are not ready to meet Jesus. That's all I'm saying. You are not ready to meet your end. You need to experience this once in your lifetime. That's all I'm saying, okay? If you haven't gone there, they've got a little thing. It says green, and you put it green, and they bring you meat, and they keep on bringing it to you, and it doesn't stop. It's amazing. So anyway... I understand the desire for meat, okay? But these guys have forgotten what it was like to be in Egypt. They've completely lost it because they weren't just slaves. They were victims of genocide, right? And they're missing the meat and like, ah, we could sacrifice that again. Which one of our kids? I don't like you. You can go. I don't, I don't know if I could do that. And complaining about one miracle while asking for another one? That's just sad. And some of us act just this way. You know, we know people who act this way. We quickly forget what God has done for us. And we start longing for the days when we are unsaved or we return to our old sins. We forget, right? That's what just, it's just what happens. But there are miracles all around us all the time. And it's so easy to find something to complain about, isn't it? It's so easy to forget. I'm going to read this to you because while my brain may be a miracle and I don't mean just mine all of our brains may be a miracle in and of itself it was not able to retain this information so I'm going to read it to you it says the simple act of reading involves millions of impulses firing across billions of synapses while you're reading your heart goes about its business circulating five quarts of blood through a hundred thousand miles of veins arteries and capillaries and it's amazing you can even concentrate, given the fact that you're on a planet that is traveling at 67,000 miles per hour through space while spinning around on its axis at the speed of 1,000 miles per hour. We can just stop right there. 
That in and of itself is a miracle. Listen, there is no Harlem Globetrotter that is sitting here spinning the world. That thing was spun and it hasn't stopped spinning since. Nobody is pushing it through space. It's just going. God put it out there and that's a miracle in and of itself. And yet we forget the simple things like that and the simple ability to read that paragraph. That's a miracle, isn't it? It's a miracle. But those are like the man of miracles, right? Those are the everyday things. They happen every day. So we kind of just take them for granted and we forget about them, right? But despite the complaining, God patiently responds to their tantrum and he promises to give them meat for a month. He says, I will give you meat for a month. And Moses is having a little bit of difficulty with this, right? So in Numbers 11, 21 to 22, he says, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And you say, I will give you meat for a whole month. Now, this is Moses getting ready to be very sarcastic with God. Because he, even though he's seen the people delivered from Egypt, even though he saw the Red Sea parted and they've had manna every day, he just, it just doesn't make sense to him. It doesn't make sense because the math got to him, right? And so he says, would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? I mean, this doesn't add up. Let me tell you how many people were there, okay? And understand the mental math and why Moses is confused. There are 600,000 men, okay? I said men. I didn't say people. 600,000 men. So let's just stick with that equation for just a second. That means there would, for 30 days, meat for 30 days, means there would be 1,800,000 meals of meat for 30 days. Now that's only once a day. If these guys were to eat three squares a day of meat, there would be 5,400,000 meals. God's promising to do this. Oh, wait. I said that was just the men. Let's just assume the average American family is mom and dad and two kids. Let's just assume that for just a second, okay? So that's four people. That bumps our number to 216 million meals over 30 days of meat. That number is staggering, and Moses can't do the math. He just, he believes God is big, but eh, he's not that big, right? Let me ask you something. You ever been there before? You ever been in that position where your circumstances, the math just doesn't add up? You know, what, what, what you've got, like, you know, God wants you to take that job that pays less, but the math just doesn't add up somewhere, right? You know, God wants you to go on a mission trip, but it doesn't add up. You know God wants you to get married or go to grad school or adopt, but it all none of it adds up in your life. The math just doesn't make sense. You know, for me, leaving my job didn't make sense either. And I go back to that because it's a point of reference in my life where this was just foolish. Leaving didn't make sense to me, but at the end of the six months, there was no promise for anything. No promise of pay. I left my job. Nothing. And guess what happened? The next few weeks, checks big ones started showing up in my mailbox two of them and i turned to my wife and i said if you doubted this and i did a little snoopy dance (laughs) thank you rocco i did a snoopy dance and i said if you doubted this if you doubted this move at all here is the proof we refinanced my house now that doesn't mean anything to you unless you've been denied over and over again to refinance your house because the market dropped and my house was no longer valued at what i needed to do on the mortgage right and then I call them I, I, out of the blue. As soon as I quit my job, I call them and I say, hey, how about refinance? And they say, oh, Mr. DeLong, we're so glad you called. Did you get our package? And I said, what package are you talking about? They said, well, we're, just, we're sending out a package. 
oh, I guess we don't send that until this week. How did you know about the new program and how did you know you could refinance? And I'm like, ah, oh, it's only a God thing because I prayed about that. And I called him. We refinanced the house. See, $300 a month. See, I know peas don't mean much unless they're your peas, right? Amen? Peas don't mean much. But those are my peas. <laughs> so we got the house refinanced and then prayed for a laid-back job until I started the church in Reynoldsburg, very specific about what I wanted, be able to take my kids to school. And God blessed me with all of that. See, the math didn't make sense to leave my job. But in that, when you take the risk, God answers. And he's going to do the same thing for the Israelites here. So this predicament that Moses finds himself in reminds me of another food miracle that happens about 1,500 years later when Jesus shows up on the scene. And, uh, and he, they're out in the Judean wilderness. And there's 5,000 men. Again, just the men, not the women. If their women and children were included, we're probably looking at more 15,000. But the Bible doesn't say that, so we'll just stick with 5,000 men, because that's what it does say, okay? And Jesus doesn't want to turn them away hungry. They've been hanging out with Jesus all day long. He's been talking to them, and he doesn't want to turn them away. And so he says, disciples, you guys feed them. And they're like, how are we supposed to feed them? That would take a year of our salary to feed all these people. Should we go and spend that money and buy them bread? And Jesus says, do it. And so they go out, and they're trying to figure out a way, and this kid walks in. He's an unnamed kid. Walks in with five loaves and two fish. Now, how many of you know that Five plus two does not equal 5,000, or even the amount to feed the women and children in that equation. It just doesn't. Five plus two is seven. But in God's economy, we're talking about addition, right? But when you add God to the equation, five plus two is greater than seven. In fact, it equals 5,000. Because when God enters in, that's multiplication. God will take what you give him, what you are willing to give back to him, and bless it and multiply it. And that math will never ever make sense to you, but it's an awesome, awesome privilege that we have when we pray, we can give. And so this guy, this kid gives, and so God not only feeds the 5,000, but here's how the equation looks because they had 12 baskets full, which is more than they started with in the beginning to walk away from, okay? 12 baskets full. So the equation now looks like 5 plus 2 equals 7 with the rem- or equals 5,000 with the remainder of 12. Does that math make sense to anybody here? But that's our God. That's who he is. He's awesome. If you put what little you have in your hand into the hand of God, God won't just add up. God will make it multiply. So what's that step of faith that you need to take in pursuing your big dream? What is that thing that you've been circling? Huh? What's your Jericho like we talked about last week, the impossible thing? What's the big dream that you're dreaming For some of you, it's making that phone call to that person which you've had a broken relationship with. For some of you, it's giving to the church or worrying you won't be able to pay your bills at the end of each month. For some of you, it's committing to own the mission, to partner with us. For some of you, it's ending that long-term relationship. You say, it's just too much. It's too sticky. I can't do it. But you don't get what's in God's hand until you let go of what's in your own. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your time, your reputation, your hobbies, your relationship, and your pride. Aaron, don't touch my pride. Don't touch that. It's going to cost you your pride because you've got to look foolish in order to pray circles. So let's wrap up our story in Numbers 11, 31, 32. Now a wind came out from the Lord and drove the quail in from the sea. And if you don't understand this, quail usually hang out by the water, right? And, uh, and the Israelites are parked in the wilderness of Paran, a region of, a region of about 50 miles inland from the water, right? So for the the quail to be there, they don't fly that far. They needed a great wind. And so the Bible says that a great wind 
went out from the Lord and drove the quail in from the sea. And it scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp, as far as the day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail, and no one gathered less than ten omers. So what does that mean? Well, a day's walk for them is about 15 miles out. So when you square that, that is 700 square miles. There is quail three feet deep for seven miles, right? The sky burst open and you can hear them. You can hear them as the, as the quail is coming down. And they're saying, it's raining quail. <clears throat> Hallelujah, it's raining quail. Nobody out there is with me. That's cool. I'm having fun up here by myself. Snoopy dance it. You know, and it's, I feel like there should be epic music here, and Rob's doing a good job back here, but I feel like there should be epic music here because this was like, are you ready? Quail Mageddon. Oh, come on, guys. Come on. Should I try it again? You, you got it? Quail Mageddon. Can you imagine so many birds, though? That many birds falling. Let's, let me give you, so it's, it's 700 square miles, right? And put it into perspective, Reynoldsburg is 11.24 square miles. So this is like 60 times the size of our city where these quail are falling three feet deep. It's nuts. And God answers that prayer. And some of you are sitting there shaking your head. There's no way. That's what Moses was doing too. He was shaking his head. I can't even imagine that. You know, my mom, when I was a kid, there was a game called Tetris. Anybody played Tetris? And <clears throat> if you played Tetris so much, you, you, my mom would swear when she went to bed at night, she closed her eyes and she would see blocks falling as and. So the, for those of you that played, you know that that's the truth. And I imagine it was kind of that way for these guys with all that quail. And so they go out and they start gathering them up. And, uh, and, and they're, they're gathering. And 10 omers multiplied by 600,000 men equals 6 million omers. And an omer is roughly 200 liters. And assuming that the quail were of average size, it rained somewhere in the neighborhood of 105 million quail. That's a crazy thing. But that's what God does in those moments of need. God doesn't just provide in dramatic fashion. God provides in dramatic proportion. Let me just say this. I I need to close. I've got so much more to give you. But you need to read this book, The Circle Maker. It's awesome. Please do it. I got stories I can share with you. Last week I had so many stories in my notes that I didn't even get to share. We're just out of time. But I want to tell you this. This is where we need to land today. My question for you. Before God sent the quail, he asked Moses an important question. Is there any limit to my power? Because Moses looked at God and said, how can this be? Being sarcastic with him and doing the math, it didn't make sense. But God said, is there any limit to my power? And when you think about that, what is the answer? It's no. And I'm actually asking you to think about that. If God were to ask you, is there any limit to my power, how would you answer it? It's a yes or no. Yes or no question when it says, do you believe that he has sufficient power for you to meet your needs? And is there any limit to his power? Yes or no. How you answer that is important. Because if you believe there's a limit to God's power, then you won't pray. You won't ask God for big things. You won't circle things in prayer. But if you believe that there is no limit to his power, will you ask him for anything? You'll be willing to pray. You'll be willing to say, God, this is the need that's in my life. Or this is somebody else's need and you're willing to pray for them. 
or this is the dream. I had this crazy dream. God, I don't know what to do with it. He does. He probably gave it to you. How big is the God that you serve? And you need to answer that for yourself. How big is God in your heart? He needs to be so big. Because he's omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. The Bible says that to him, talking about God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think. That means the moment I'm able to think it, God has passed it. Exceedingly abundantly above all. He's passed it. That's the God we serve. So I just want to challenge you this week that as you get your journals, if you don't have one, get one. Just, it's just a notebook. And challenge yourself. Do I really believe that God is big? I want to hear some stories. I want to hear from you about what God is doing in your life. But I'm not going to do that if you don't pray like God is big enough for your biggest problem. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you're here today and you don't know the Jesus or the God that I'm talking about, I want to give you an opportunity to be inducted, invited, adopted into this family, into this spiritual family. If you've never said yes to Jesus or maybe you have at one point in time and you walked away and you'd like to say yes to Jesus today, nobody's looking around, nobody's watching you. I don't want to embarrass you. But if you put your hand up and let me know, Aaron, I need to say yes to Jesus. I believe that God is able. He's able to save me. He's able to heal me. He's able to deliver me from my addictions. He's able to deliver me from my past. He's able to redeem all the bad that I've done because his grace is sufficient. If that's you, if you're here, would you raise your hand? Just let me know you're here so I can pray for you. You Put your hands down. I thank you. I appreciate your honesty. For those of us that are here, I'm going to pray for us because I believe that we need an adjustment, a spiritual attitude adjustment, a positioning where we believe that God is bigger and God is able. So I'm going to pray first for those that want to know Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this day, for this great day that you have given us, and for this challenge in our hearts to wonder at how big you really are. Lord, for those that have never met you before, maybe they've met you and maybe, maybe they, they, they walked away, but Lord, they're here and they're saying, we want to know you, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would fill their lives. Give them an encounter with your love in a way that they've never known before. Meet their needs, God. Break their addictions. Redeem their past. Grant them grace and mercy and wash them clean of their sins. Show them how to live every day, Lord for you by your spirit Lord for all of us here we repent I repent and I ask you to forgive me forgive us for having such a small view of you for not having faith that matches the size of the God that you are Lord I pray this week and every day hereafter that we remember how big you are that these verses would ring in our hearts and that we would have boldness to pray specific prayers, God, for whatever it is, that dream or that brokenness in our life or in someone else's life. 
God, shift our spiritual vision of how big you are. And be with us this week, Lord. If you have a specific need, there are prayer cards. Those connection cards. If you flip them over, I want to challenge you. Write down what that need is. Put a big circle around it.